a soulful proclamation from music's most velvety voice, a reflective look at humility, and a powerful hip-hop anthem that's profoundly relevant to the times we're in. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school, Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. So I really want this episode to flow without interruption. So I'm going to take care of a little bit of housekeeping right off the top. And you know what that means. It means check out soundfly.com. We have some incredibly extensive courses that you can get access to with a very affordable subscription. Remember to use the discount code THEMES, that's THEMES in all caps, to take 20% off a monthly or annual subscription. The subscription gives you access to all of our incredibly extensive courses like Songwriting for Producers, Faders Up, Modern Mix Techniques, and our brand new course, Intro to Music Production in Ableton Live, plus a whole host of others. With SoundFi, you can also work one-on-one with a mentor in a very focused, highly intensive four-week or six-week session. Seriously, we love helping you reach your musical goals. And you can try and stump us with some musical goals. We have a mentor that will help you get to where you want to be and make the music that you want to make. So I would have to say that this is probably our most important episode to date as we're looking at songs to inspire change. We have three songs that take a very poignant look at some of the systemic issues that have plagued us for forever, really. And I am so thankful to be joined by two very special guests in Keenan the First and Speech Thomas. Keenan the First is a rapper, singer, and producer, and actually one of the first artists I had the chance to work with when I moved out to Los Angeles. I instantly fell in love with his music and his approach to creation. He puts so much work and sweat into it. It's truly inspiring in its own right. Joining K1 and I on this episode is a hip-hop legend in Speech Thomas. I, I honestly don't even know where to begin with this introduction. Speech is the leader, of course, of the multi-Grammy winning group Arrested Development. He's an incredibly thought-provoking artist. He's also a filmmaker. He does everything. He's incredibly socially conscious and really, truly uses his platform to inspire change. And along with Keenan, of course, the perfect guest for this episode. We get into all kinds of things in this episode, like the powerful minimalism of Sam Cooke the already prolific catalog of Kendrick Lamar, and a deep dive into a very important track from the artist himself. So without further ado, let's get into the episode, Songs to Inspire Change. Joining me on this episode, we've got Keenan the First, K1. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's cool to to reconnect with you because it's been a little bit Yes, sir. I'm really excited to to get to chat and chat music with you. <laughs> and of course, joining us, a legend, Mr. Speech Thomas. How are you doing, Speech? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me on the show. I feel good. Right on. We are talking songs to inspire change. I think probably our, our heaviest theme to date. I'm very excited to get into it. Um, I, I'm excited to have you on the show in particular, because I, I feel like you both use your platforms musically to inspire change in your music. Um, how do you feel music, uh, what music's role is in society at large right now? And what is its purpose as far as inspiring change? Um, you want me to jump in or Keenan, you got this? Uh, or speech, I, go ahead, man. Speak, speak to the people. You know, first of all, I feel like music is supposed to be a art form that challenges the mind, the spirit. It's able to climb walls that politics and religion can't climb. It's able to seep mm. through barriers that government and other forms of change can't seep through. So I think music is extremely potent. The truth is music is able to accomplish so much change where other forms of, of activism sometimes can't reach. Mm-hmm. And hip hop in particular for me as a hip hop mm-hmm. artist, I think is a godsend to the people who created it, black people in particular, to be able to speak our voice. I think it is the number one export that black people and black Americans in particular have 
we've literally put it throughout the planet Earth. It impacts everybody. And for quite a while, it might still be, it was the number one genre of music in the entire planet. So as far as what its role is, I think it's huge. And I've always felt that way since I've been a professional at this. Wow. Keenan, any any thoughts there? I really love that. Uh, for me, I mean, music is, man, that's hard to describe. It's like, uh, it's movement. And I think that's sort of the essence of existence is that everything's moving. Everything has a rhythm. Everything has, like, even the particles that make us up are in motion. And so for me, like, when music really impacted me was actually through movies. Like, I grew up in a very Christian household. My father didn't allow us to listen to secular music. And so I wasn't able to tap into, like, being on the school bus and everybody has that song and everyone's like bobbing their head and singing along with it. Like it was, it was a a while before I got to that point, but in movies Mm -hmm. I got to experience, you know, different types of music for the first time. And through the movement of the scene and the movement of these emotions, this music was capturing more than what was being spoken. And I think that is what I love about it. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. So we are, of course, listening to A Change Is Gonna Come, Sam Cooke. Do you guys remember the first time maybe you heard this track? Um, For me, I, I don't remember the first time I heard it. I do know that it was relatively recent in my life because I was introduced to Sam Cooke by my queen, my wife. Hmm. We've been together 30 years and she love, loves Sam Cooke. And so <laughs> um, I never was, in fact, the only way I knew about Sam Cooke was from Prince. He did a movie called Under the Cherry Moon. Mm-hmm. And he had a little section in the movie where he talked about Sam Cooke. It was a little joke between him and his girl. So I started to get familiar with the name, but never knew the music. My point being, yeah, Sam Cooke means a lot to me now. He's one of my favorite artists ever. And um, yeah, so that was, I don't remember the first time I was introduced to him, but I know that it was from my queen, which means a lot to me. You know, I was in a wedding band and how I came to Sam Cooke was, of course, every wedding you're going to play, you send me. Send me. I know you. Like and, and so many of his tracks are, you know, love songs. And then all of a sudden he writes this track in the midst of the civil rights movement. He's using his platform. He's, you know, and we'll get into it a little more. I know that that part of him was, you know, concerned. Am I going to lose my white audience by writing this track and releasing this track? But he still felt so powerfully about this song that he did. The arrangement and the composition speaks to the message so much and frames it so beautifully. Um, there's there's a lot to talk about. That song is one of the best written and the most important songs of in American history. The string arrangement at the intro of that song to me reminds you it reminds me of what Keenan just talked about on on how music moved him by watching motion pictures and that intro to me reminds me of a motion picture it reminds me of the beginning of something deeply paramount and huge and i love that it was written right at the heart of so many of the fundamental problems being addressed in our nation, you know, in the early sixties where, you know, wars, inequality was at the forefront, everything was right in your face. And then you have this song that starts with such important 
string arrangements for black artists. I think all of that was so effective in making people see the, the, the gravity of what he's about to share about the black experience. What I love about this song is like how intuitive the songwriting and the lyricism actually is. When you speak about change, especially when we're looking at civil, the civil rights movement, it's, it's always been incremental. It has always been presumably more suffering than like the moments of change. And, and within this song, like it's been a long, like the, the word long is a long sung word. And we're, the, uh, when we finally get to the change in the hook, a change gonna come. It's just the change happens in a in a very small amount of space compared to all the rest of these things. And so, like I think when we're you know we're talking about that mirroring the movement of life, it's like change is is rarely ever the biggest part. It's all the things up to the change. It's all the suffering up to that change. It's all of the the it's everything else that leads to this moments of change. I think the song does that really well. The other thing that struck me just when it came to him and this song being a departure from the material that he had uh, created before was that it made his audience confront issues that maybe they were like blissfully unaware of, right? Like, or just like, that's not my problem. That's not my problem, which is the problem. And we don't get to change without all confronting the issues that are for everybody, right? Like, uh, and, and to get, his audience that was predominantly white at the time to confront issues that were facing black people at the time. And still did the thing that hits me with this song too, is how relevant the song still is. Um, the arrangement, the arrangement and the composition has to fit the message. Each verse of this track has a really unique kind of orchestration to it. You have that first verse that we just listened to a uh, very somber horn kind of section, very warm. You have that French horn really kind of being a big part of it. The second verse, the French horn remains and remains throughout. The strings carry the harmonic movement in the second verse. So I want to show you guys what I'm talking about here. It's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die. Cause I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. And then the third verse, we blend the horns and the strings. The The horns have a much more rhythmic, like pounding kind of figure. It's almost like a proclamation. Like if you didn't hear the first two verses, I have another verse that you absolutely are going to pay attention to. Oh, To me, it again takes the experiences of a black person, which in the early 60s, it's easy for white America to ignore the existence because segregation was still so real that if you didn't have consistent contact with someone black in their everyday life, you really didn't have to know what they were going through. And so to me, the arrangement with the strings and even the French horn, which generally was used in especially in movies to show expansive reality and in, and to show huge importance like big screen importance and so to me I thought it was a great mixture between this french horn and huge strings which usually you know um express importance in white reality with white movies and things of this nature mixed with this gospel swing mm. slow great incredible gospel voice which also resonates with black audiences and in the black church but even with white audiences as well if they were exposed to this kind of gospel music in the ideas of faith and relying on something bigger than ourselves that it mm -hmm. will come indeed and so mm -hmm. i think that it was masterfully masterfully a mixture of these two um tools that evoke two different uh, feelings and fuse them together to create something that I think everyone, white, black, or indifferent, could, you know, grab something from. Yeah, I think that's the, that is the embodiment of hope. 
is that you don't, you only really hope when you're not in a hopeful situation. When you slow this song down to where it's at, tempo-wise, you kind of open it up for that space for the strings to linger and for the horns and the strings to be speaking to each other. That instrumentation, the, the way that it is arranged, creates a hopeful mood, like a hopeful feeling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I want to share just that, that bridge. He's singing, then I go to my brother and I say, brother, help me, please. But he winds up knocking me back down on my knees. The most real scene i think that he paints lyrically and the way that the tension builds because of uh, well let's let's listen to it first and i say brother help me please but he winds up knocking me remarkable orchestration to fit and and paint that picture the timpani rolling the strings with the tremolo it's just so you can't help but be there in in that moment i want to just jump into the composition because i think we we're close to kind of dancing around um but we got that very floaty six eight groove we're in the key of b flat major this is where i nerd out on theory just a little (laughs) bit because i I love this stuff um but you have you know i have the one chord move into the two minor chord it, it like just at the top of the verse has a very kind of pensive feel to it. Um, the harmony gets stretched towards the end of the verse. You have that E flat pulling down to the D seven. It's just so hip harmonically and, and very jazz influenced. I, I absolutely love that moment. One moment. And, and Kenny, you spoke to this um, every single time these things, a change going to come at the end of the chorus, we're landing on a very somber G minor and it lets that moment kind of elongate and stretch mm-hmm. and you have to sit in it. And then that uplifting, uh, yes, it will is over the, the major tonality, that B flat major. So there is that hope. Um, but like you said, is, is, is much shorter than it makes you confront that mm-hmm. a change going to come right there on that G minor. And mm-hmm. that really kind of frames that moment. This was apparently the eighth take that they did that day. And uh, they say the, the notes I saw is that it was nearly flawless. I don't hear any mistakes in it anywhere from him. If it was, it was probably in the string section somewhere. I have no idea where, where his mistake is. It's just unbelievable how much raw emotion is in his performance. Um, my favorite moment of his vocally is that, uh, and I go downtown. Well, I, I was going to try and sing it. I'm not going to try and sing it for you guys. I'd rather just show you. And I go quintessential r&b like lick that pentatonic scale he started on the sixth degree and singing down that part it melts me man melts me every time it's velvety i mean you you hit it on the spot with uh velvety i don't know why that word is sticking (laughs) with me i agree and i also just wanted to say and backing it up just a slight bit when you talked about the please brother and then he knocks me down again, the black power movement, the the black freedom movement, it has taken on numerous versions. Mm-hmm. You know, Marcus Garvey days, it was, you know, black people rise up and go back to Africa, embrace your roots. By the time the early 60s came, it was an appeal to the heart and the consciousness of the oppressor, which was white people in this country. Mm-hmm. It was an appeal to the heart. That was what the civil rights movement was striving to tap into. And to me, when, and I'm sorry, I'm going back a little bit. I know we were a no, little please. ahead now. Please. But when, when those tremolos and that pensive feeling and the messaging of what he was saying about we're supposed to be brothers and I go to you to help me and you knock me down, that, to me, that, part musically was so in line with the two emotions needed to make that part work one emotion was this hopeful feeling but for the first time in the song to me the tremolos come in um cardi you know you said it's pensive it add a little bit of tension and deep thought and a little bit of conflict and even the rest of the notes like the Mm -hmm. horns took less of a floaty uh characteristic and went more staccato with hits and and bigger mm-hmm. bigger uh, arrangements and to me that was the the feeling of trying to get 
in there into the inner heart and spirit of a person that normally, mm. uh, especially white people at that time, who could easily mm. ignore this song as just some other plea from a, from a colored artist or a Negro artist, but instead trying to reach that heart. If it hadn't reached you by the first other, other verses, let me try this. I actually had a question for both of you. So I'm a bass player and I can relate to the feeling of being on stage and feeling good about the music I'm playing. Maybe the music is positive and, and, and it does have a message, but I'm not using my voice. I'm not using, my instrument is not as intrinsically personal as both you as MCs and singers. What is that feeling like of being so locked in with the music and the message? Man, I, from my experience, it's like, it's either an out of body experience or it's like, I'm completely in my head. <laughs> It just depends on how prepared I am, I guess, sometimes, you know what I mean? We're like, sometimes you realize the words that are coming out of your mouth and you can like see them coming out ahead of you and you're like, oh, I need to catch up to what I'm, you're so like in your head that you're, you're like trapped in this sphere of like speaking and performing with your voice. But in the, in the like truest spirit and essence of it, it is like an out of body experience. It can make you emotional because you become one with the band or you become one with the music and and it's one of those like synthesis things where you realize that your voice is an instrument at the same time that you're using it. I thoroughly agree with everything Keena said. And I'll add to that, that the power of the word cannot be underestimated. Mm. And, you know, from a spiritual biblical standpoint, the whole existence of the universe was created by it from a, <laughs> just a entertainer standpoint. As Keenan was explaining, I, I see the moments when I know I have the crowd in my hands mm -hmm. and it's based on my inflections, my tone, the word that I the words that I choose, um, choosing your family, you know, to the crowd at the time in real time, as opposed to your fans. All the different word choices are purposeful to accomplish a certain goal. And as Keenan also was explaining, knowing that the words that you've pinned somewhere else at some other time period, you're now able to put out upon these speakers. And you know, at that very moment, there's inevitably somebody new that's never heard of you or your crew or whatever you're you know, represented as. They never heard you. And so they're hearing this for the very first time. And it is blowing someone's top off. And you know <laughs> that that's happening because you know, as a lover of music, You've been in that crowd as well. And the right. same thing has happened to you. So um, it's a, it's a, it, as he said, it's an outer body experience to some extent. It's amazing. I mean, there are hundreds of covers of this track, which again, I think speaks to its legacy. The Supremes cover is really, really, really amazing. And it came out shortly after the release. Also, like less than a year after the release, Otis Redding did a cover. One thing I thought that was kind of unique, he changed Gunna to Gotta, uh, changed Gotta Come. The outro of that track is absolutely phenomenal, super powerful. It gets incredibly heavy. Um, his voice, I mean, I would say is powerful where i would say sam sam cook has a ton of power though in his pipes though as well so i don't want to say that he's not but it's it's more visceral almost it's just a fantastic fantastic sound and recording Well, I will say that I've always felt like Sam Cooke is a master vocalist and he's also a master at at effective minimalism. Uh, many R&B singers overdo riffs. They run riffs to the ground. They just try to show their gymnastics with their riffs. Sam Cooke was the opposite of that. And yet, in my opinion, outsings pretty much anybody. And I've always felt this ever since I've known his music. He is a minimalist in how he approaches something. 
And yet the emotion is fully there from if it was from a one to 10, 10 being the most emotion that possibly could come out of that note. He always hit a 10 to me without doing while doing the least. It's like, yep. um, so that's what I, I always felt. He was a master vocalist. Yeah, I, I don't mind riffing at all either, but there's not a single wasted breath with Sam Cooke. That's Every exactly single right. note is like, you listen back to any performance and every single note has to be there. And I think that's a good lesson for any artist, producer, musician, whatever. Like, does that part that you're working on so hard, does it absolutely need to be on that track? And if it doesn't, then do away with it, man. Like, that, that, that is really, really important. Uh, Keenan, any anything else you want to share before yeah, we move on? Uh, to... Final thought is kind of just to piggyback on what Speech said about um, the brother section of that song is that it is really interesting that that is sort of the greatest point of conflict. Even even after he says, um, "I'm afraid to die," like that's not even being afraid to die is not even the greatest point of conflict in that song. It's it's the right. breaking the brotherhood. The fact that he was able to achieve that without harmonies, without auto tune, without like he yeah. he just was singing, and yep. you know I think that has to we have to pay homage to that. Much a dollar really costs. The question is detrimental, paralyzed in my thoughts. Parasites in my stomach keep me with a gut feeling, y'all. Gotta see how I'm chilling once I park this luxury car. Hopping out, feeling big as Mutumbo. 20 on pump six, don't be Marcellus, call me Dumbo. 20 years ago, came for gift. Now I can lend him my error too. K1, do you mind telling the folks at home what we are listening to? Yeah, this is uh, How Much a Dollar Costs, Kendrick Lamar, To Pimp a Butterfly. Uh, I gotta say, it's probably my favorite album that I've ever listened to. Um, yeah. You know, I've been influenced by a lot of different artists, but I think Kendrick has been the artist that I that has actually moved me the most, and mostly because I consider myself a storyteller and lyricist, and I really pay attention to the words, and mm-hmm. I can tell every song I listen to with Kendrick that he's sitting with the words and selecting and crafting a story i love and respect that and so i I picked this song because i think that um it sort of gets overlooked um, with the other you know singles on to pimp a butterfly and you know where most of the critical acclaim has been with we gonna be all right uh and when i wake up i recognize you looking at me for the pay cut bahamas i'll be looking at you from the face down one mac 11 even boom with the face down skimming and let me tell you about my life Kendrick Lamar to me is an extremely intentional artist. Every word he chooses, even when he chooses not to speak, is all so intentional. Mm -hmm. And by far, as far as hip hop is concerned, I think Kendrick Lamar has tapped into the greatness of artists like Prince, Beyonce, Michael Mm -hmm. Jackson, which is a sacred line of entertainers so to me he is tapped into that and it's because of his intentionality he's very Mm. very purposeful what what he does and doesn't do and um this song is no exception he's one of those artists that people get into i think one of the most nonsensical arguments what's your favorite kendrick lamar record (laughs) and there's no point there's yeah. no point. I mean, you can you can have one. That's fine. I'm not going to take that from anybody <laughs> for having a favorite uh, Kendrick record. But they're all so unique. Like every time I try to think of like putting a rank to it, I'm like, I'm going to put Section 80 first because I love that. And it was just for like it's an EP or first record. And like, I love that. But like it switches so often what your favorite record is right. for me personally. Right. Man, artist and, and you guys yourselves as well, just be able to like weave and stay hip hop. This record, I would argue, is like both hip hop and jazz for mm-hmm. sure, but also like hip. There's a larger conversation to be had about hip hop and jazz and those always being so intrinsically linked. But I'm rambling right now because it's one of those no, things that it's like. It's really hard to talk about Kendrick without talking. I mean, you're talking about his whole catalog, even when you're talking about one of his songs. 
everything is interconnected. Everything is interwoven. And part of the reason why I chose this song is because it symbolizes change to me in the fact that it is really about humility. And for an artist that is at this level in his career, where we had already gotten Good Kid, Mad City, we had already gotten to Section 80, and he was really starting to grab a larger audience, he chose to put this cover on this album he chose mm-hmm. to speak these topics and this song is just like riddled with humility but most people see humility with kendrick through the song humble from damn if i quit this season i still be the greatest funk my left stroke just went viral right stroke put little baby in a spiral soprano c we like to keep it on the you have to go back further to really see how often this man is talking about spiritual themes, humility, grappling with fame and being where he's from. Uh, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think this song is like a great anchor for a lot of different themes that he talks about through his whole catalog. Such a powerful chord progression. You hear those notes. I thought for sure it was Glasper. I, I believe it was actually Terrace Martin who played oh, really? keys on that. I know Glasper's all over this record, but it does have that that Glaspery, Dilly kind of vibe to it. And you have that that one major chord, the flat two, and then the flat three. That's such a like perpetual kind of progression. It doesn't feel like it has an end. It doesn't feel like you ever want it mm-hmm. to end. Right. It just keeps going and it just is this like I you feel this energy of like this chord is making me feel something that that is so powerful and then he hits well first i mean the snare hits and slaps <laughs> and it's just a classic like neck breaking groove there's a there's a lot about being stuck in the chord progression and even the snare i think mm. like the snare cuts through so that we find a way to feel it but even the snares is typically the only thing we can count on to be the same thing you know and so I feel like this song really encapsulates like how is this man who just jumped out of a luxury car and this man who's asking for 10 rand both feel stuck in their in their positions Mm. Uh, and I think the song opens up like that in order for us to be able to feel those emotions yeah I 100% agree I I think that musically it's spacious to me and Mm -hmm. even the background vocals they feel like they're floating and I think that the snare is either behind I couldn't tell I gotta listen to it again or a little (laughs) ahead either way it's definitely not right in the pocket Um, Mm -hmm. but of course it feels pocketed in a different way and Mm so uh, very Dilla-esque and and how he approaches it and I think what all of that does is make room for the voice. It makes mm-hmm. room for him to be able to tell the story and you to be able to um, dive in and just be a part of the film, you know, be a part mm-hmm. of what he's painting. I knew he was smoking. He begged and pleaded. Asked me to feed him twice. I didn't believe it. Told him beat it. Contributed money just for his pipe. I couldn't see it. He said, my son, temptation is one thing that I've defeated listen to me I want a single bill from you nothing less nothing more I told him I didn't have it then close my door tell me how much a dollar cost another thing I love about Kendrick is I think he has a masterful use of the three verse structure it's sort of being lost in contemporary popular hip-hop you know we've kind of cut back to two verses three hooks and Kendrick still uses this three verse structure but he he does it in a way usually where he starts on the individual and then he moves to the group and then he moves to this community and how much a dollar costs is sort of the same thing where we start in this first verse we're talking about me and my singular view on other people and you get a lot of you know him him trying to speak to this person yo let me put 20 on six and they can't hear me because they speak zulu he's this this guy is asking me for 10 rand and why can't he? I know he's smoking a pipe. I'm already judging him. That's who. That's how I see him. Uh, and I think that's Kendrick is so masterful with. I'm gonna use this point of view. This is me. But all of the second verse, we got this conversation between he's staring at me. I'm staring at him. He's staring at me. I'm staring at him. He's staring at me. And now we're opening up to this conversation, and we're really starting to feel two different presences 
Is that the word? Presences? Yeah. <laughs> Two Persons, different presences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and then obviously the reveal at the end, we're talking about humanity in a spiritual sense. To me, I look at it like he is trying to expose the planes of life. And what I mean by that is like one plane is your own perspective. And the next plane is how your perspective counteracts or interacts with someone else's perspective. And the last plane, that last verse is is the, the perspective of, you know, almost like the astronauts who go out in space and they're able to look down on Earth and see that in truth, there is no borders. There is no country borders. There is no states and cities and provinces. There's just human beings on one planet, one ball. And from a spiritual perspective, from the heavenly perspective, we are all on this planet. And there is a bigger picture than whatever me uh, I see personally and whatever even me and whoever I'm interact acting with see there's a bigger picture even above all of that and so I thought he was able to um, really pull that off one thing that that even struck me to listening to this track is I I wore this record out when it was released <laughs> in 2015 mm-hmm. um, you know as I think everybody did when when this record came out and just how much you know more I think as as particularly in this country, how much more divided we are five years later and listening to this track and, and how kind of heavy that is. Certainly. I I think that maybe there are um, more positive times ahead for sure. But like the last, you know, four years in particular were, Mm -hmm. were very divisive and, and music like this is just so important. I don't, I don't have thoughts or a point beyond that, but it just kind of struck me. It's like as a kind of stark reality that, that 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 is just so heavy that we're not supposed to be going back this way where we are now right. five years later we're supposed to be progressing um but speech i love that point if we were able to get that perspective at just ten thousand feet <laughs> or maybe even a little bit higher and look down like yeah of course like it, we're all just <laughs> same inhabitants of the the same rock you know? yeah i'd like to s- say too you know i i feel that the digression that we've witnessed in the last four years in particular was less a digression than what it, to me, what it actually is, is the realization that sins of the past are sins even of the present. They all have Mm -hmm. consequences. And when the Mm -hmm. sins are hugely grave, like huge sins that Mm -hmm. last for generation after generation of generation, those sins, they could be brushed underneath a rug, but the rug is extremely bumpy. And so to me, when President Obama was elected and we all thought naively or many people thought naively that the change has come, right. what all it did in reality was remind another sector of the population that things could change in a, in a way that for them was negative change, meaning mm-hmm. those right. that have a racist frame of mind or a white supremacist frame of mind, whether they're literally part of some group, I'm not saying that, like they're part of mm-hmm. the clan right. or part of skinheads. Right. I'm talking about just people that have that mindset, which unfortunately is most people in this country because we've all right. be con- been conditioned by that mindset. So mm-hmm. for some people, Obama was the apocalypse. And so to <laughs> me, Trump was the answer to Obama. And... Mm-hmm the division was just brought out from under the rug again because of all the sins that have happened, you know, 400 years ago, starting 400 years ago up to today. So we're still in that struggle. And I love what Keenan said about change is going to come. A lot of times the long time coming (laughs) is, is reminiscent of what I feel about, you know, where we're at right now. And Mm -hmm. the change going to come part is real simple or not simple, but quicker than the long time coming. And I right. think that we will see a change that will be more lasting, but it does take time. It is slow and it is, it is um, you know, one increment at a time. That's often the criticism of America is like how polarized we are. But at the same time, that is sort of freedom manifesting itself. Is that I agree we that. have these polar opposites like the only way that that is able to exist in in society is because of the fact that people have the power to choose what they listen to, choose who they listen to, choose how to express themselves. 
And unfortunately, I, I mean, I agree with speech. Like there are ugly, deep rooted sins that have just been buried. And mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot of the fruit from, from those types of seeds. And we are, we have more tools right now than ever before to be transparent about who we are. And mm-hmm. so we're just seeing, we're seeing these like rifts in ways that we might have never really been exposed to them. Um, but I'm, I'm in the same boat where I think optimistically that that's the best, that's the best way you change something is that you recognize it and you are aware that it exists. And, and then you start to strategize and plot and scheme on how to, you bring people together because ultimately the power in this country is through unity. Absolutely. Keenan, just on a, um, a tip, I, I love asking just any artist we have on the show <laughs> when we break down another artist track, is there a song of yours that you feel like a listener could see a through line to from Kendrick, from this track or just anything that you're like, yeah, this feels like it was, it was influenced by, by uh, Kendrick. black people never die. my intention with the song really was like there are so many black people in this country that have not been afforded the chance to die they've been killed and that's a very uh, that's a very important distinction because i think when we talk about the killing of black people as them dying that's that's a way for us to sugarcoat what's actually happening. We're wow, snapping yeah. off Brilliant. the neck before, <laughs> before these are, these are not fully grown plants. These are not fully blossomed souls. And when you, when you, when you kill them, you're affecting everything that comes from them, every person mm-hmm. around them. How I've been inspired by Kendrick is to speak about things that affect society and affect me. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, black people never die is, is sort of like a, uh, contradiction uh, that you know we never die but it's because we're always getting killed Mind telling the listeners what we are listening to. Okay, first of all, I just want a confession. I feel like after, you know, I've never done your show before. So, right. After being in your show, I feel ridiculously self serving and selfish. No, no, no. Playing one of my own joints. I'm like, oh, I'm such a whack dude. Like, who does this? So, no, you asked, and because, one, it fits the theme perfectly and, perfectly and that's the most important thing but at the same time this is special and and i'm so glad that you did do this i'm so glad that you picked back down by of course arrested development we get to actually pick your brain uh how the song came to be i'd love to start there do you mind telling us a little bit about just how this track came to be and and the record too of course don't forget your demons yeah yeah no doubt no doubt so i mean first of all you know we did this album during COVID-19 pandemic. So it was very much a slow down period for me as an artist. We usually are touring. We're out and about. If we are recording, there's a lot more face to face. And then COVID-19 changed all of that. And a few things were happening. It was deep reflection, thorough interruption of all the normal routines of life. So I'm all of a sudden, at home, 24 hours a day, literally quarantining in the house. And I'm doing my yard. I'm cutting my grass. I'm, I'm reflective about all the things that are happening with this administration at this time period in life and 
all the yeah. things that were going on with George Floyd and being mm-hmm. murdered, uh, as Keenan was talking about, blacks not dying but being killed, their lives being snuffed out too early. But also that translates to the pandemic mm-hmm. as well, where the primary people dying from this COVID-19 virus has been black people first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, just all the injustices, all the disparity, but having a chance to really think about and reflect is where this album came from, um, Don't Fight Your Demons, and where this song came from, Back Down. And then add to that me being a 52-year-old hip-hop artist that's been doing hip-hop for 30-odd years, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we have numerous generations that have come since my f- debut album in 1992 came out. He guided me to Tennessee. Take me to another place. Take me to another land. Make me forget all the And some of these generations obviously weren't born then. So you have this whole ageism thing going on with um, mm. hip hop by nature. And then you have me trying to be who I naturally am, which is a 52 year old man of two kids and a wife and yet a lover of hip hop. And at the same time, try to be relevant to the realities that are going on in in our nation and in our world. So that's sort of the backdrop of what made me want to do back down. The, the music was created by a good uh, producer friend named Chris Acosta, who, you know, mm-hmm. talk about the strings of change going to come. The strings really, to me, when he, when he sent me this track, it spoke urgency and it spoke conflict. It just the, the way that the strings are coming at you and the speed at which, you know, they're, they're being played Mm -hmm. to me all suggest you gotta listen to this. Let me grip you. And this happens to be the first song on our album. So Arrested Development, and Keenan, I'm not sure how familiar you are with my group, but, you know, check it out when you get a chance. But <laughs> we're known for, like, like a lot of our bigger hits are way more melodic. They're way more um, easier to digest and not necessarily abrasive by nature. So mm. this song was to juxtapose that. And gotcha. those were all the types of things that were on my mind when um i wrote the song with chris i love i mean you hit on this the the baseline comes in and talk about like creating tension um you know the the root and the fifth and the flat five there i go like theory nerd again but (laughs) yeah it's just so heavy it's one of those lines it was reminiscent honestly of me to to nas's uh uh, new york state of mind Mm -hmm. i keep some e&j sitting pin up in the stairway or either on a corner betting grants with the silo champs the thing I love about this track is that you get that kind of almost reprieve when it goes to the the G major to the C major. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of like a little well that you get to you sit in a little bit harmonically. On the production too, the one thing that really hit me um, was the the background kind of ear candy piano melodic line. I actually want to yes. play that right now because that those little things. Those little elements that get added are just like they they absolutely floor me. They feed our souls with lust and hoes. We won't even discuss these woes. We chose to candy coat. I vote back down. Can't have it both ways. Drug dealer lavish plus say classy and savage is what they had did to us when we were slaves. No way. Consciousness protects me. You can't say you won't win. You know. What I loved about what Chris did, and there's this tension, and then there's a release. And the release is very almost to me um, like merry-go-round-ish or circus mm. I wanted to juxtapose the sort of in-your-face combative energy that the song is meant to have at the end of the day. Mm. But every once in a while, it's almost like a chorus, but there is no chorus on the song per se. So right, right. The, the chorus is a la-la-la-la, la-la-la-la, la-la-la. And it's almost making light of the whole situation, but it's only to give you a breather. And then we're going back in. It's like if you're a swimmer, you're going underwater, you're swimming your fastest, and then you come up for a breath of air and you're going right back down mm-hmm. again. That's what each one of those um, pieces are. And like you said, with the notes that are floating on top, to me that was another example of helping a otherwise abrasive type of track 
sort of s- still leads you on towards towards a bre- a breather in a moment. So mm. that's what I feel. Choruses, I feel, can I love a good hook. I absolutely love a good hook, but they can kind of breed complacency almost in a in a, a listener like. If the message is like too real and too strong as a listener, and maybe you're like, well, I've got the chorus coming mm-hmm. up and I can sing along to that and feel good about myself listening to that. Right. But you don't allow that to happen. You say, like, to me, the hook is just back down and the way that you exactly. drop it in in your verse a little bit. Like, dude, love it. One thing that I, I think is not necessarily apparent to people that aren't making music is that you're feeling all of these emotions prior to putting them into the music and when you are a specifically a black artist who has accepted the responsibility to speak on these issues because not everybody has to or or does accept it i'm curious in your experience with this album and with this song when you've been able to sit with it and you're processing like massive emotions when you're talking about secretly ordered by the TIA, black ops with the DEA, mm-hmm. black cops with these white cops. Like you're, these are not small things to take on. So I'm, I'm curious, like in your process of piecing this together, what was your emotional like state and, and how did you wrestle with, you know, putting out more abrasive sounds than the more relaxed? I was ready to do it, Kenan. You know, it's like mm-hmm. for me personally, I didn't even write anything with pen on this record. So wow. on this record, and I do this with certain records on this record, I really just knew I wanted to flow differently. So I, first of all, was inspired by Kendrick's humble lyrically. I really just put down the melodic Nate. I mean the um, rhythmic nature of what I wanted to flow like, but with no words and then went back and filled it all in with words one little piece at a time. Oh, and I love that. Long story short is that um con- I mean like storyline wise and just the points that I wanted to make in this record was all the overwhelming things that I felt needed to back the hell down. Like get mm. back because I had been feeling like so many negative things were being perpetuated on the most of society and we weren't challenging it enough in mainstream music or in music in general. We Mm -hmm. weren't, we weren't rebelling against it. We weren't saying how angry we are about these realities. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like, you know, I wanted it to be like all these various things back down. And so the very first part is you claim you bang and it's insane because there's a white supremacist campaign where we're slain and it's mundane and talking about all these rappers. Cause I mean, you, we still hear that we see the headlines even to this day of rappers being killed in public domains, like literally unheard of from any other genre of music that I know of at least right, right. where almost twice a month we're seeing literal rappers that are getting murdered in broad daylight you know and we've been seeing this for decades and it's become normalized and so Mm -hmm. this song was in that first part at least was meant to shake up hey 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 wake up you know Mm -hmm. this is not supposed to be all right we must be angry about these realities in our streets. A white supremacist campaign, but we're slain as mundane. Rappers kill the public domains, and we just tweet things. Hashtag, gone too soon, on to the next thing. Death has become an art. Rapping with hand grenades. Osama bin Laden sure ain't got nada. A lot of lines, but the, the one line that, that stood out, uh, and we just tweet things. Hashtag, gone too soon, on to the next thing. So, mm-hmm. social media, uh, like, without it, we don't see... The realities of of the murder of of Eric Garner, George Floyd, countless others, and we don't see the realities of of that, right? But like the response being so passive, almost from from the community at large, obligated to share that they're sad on social media, and it feels like it is so much more about a performative thing for them to feel good about themselves. To part, I, I have my own thoughts on social media, and mm-hmm. and they're mostly negative. But just your guys' <laughs> thoughts on on that, like that line hit me pretty pretty hard because like that when that stuff happens and there's an influx of just all oh, gone too soon and then it is literally on to the next thing when can i tweet about stuff that is just like passive and fun i don't know i it it, it 
I don't use Twitter a lot for a lot of reasons, and that's that's a big one of them. But your guys' thoughts there, I I just love that line. Basically, I wanted to wanted to share. I mean, I think I'll I'll speak first. I think I'm all over social media. You know, what I mean, I was like born in the internet, basically. <laughs> so I I lived there, and one thing you always notice, no matter what platform, black people are influencing culture, every single platform, and so there's always this this. Uh, outside experience of how do I get in there? How do I feel what they feel? How do I get to be a part of that? And what's interesting about when a, when there is a large killing that hits mainstream media and social media, the sympathy card allows you to be inside there. So the being saying I hashtag this or saying like rest in peace, this becomes like this commodity now that allows you to enter into the conversation that is influencing culture. And so it's a, it's a weird, uh, and, and to kind of hit back on speech's point, we don't penalize that. We reward that. Mm. Like when, when schools were getting shot up and it was white kids that were dying, Radio was putting stops on anything about guns or, you know, I was working at a, at a movie trailer company at that point in time and they put a stop. They had to cut out all the guns in this trailer because all these kids was getting killed. But when it's, but when it's, you know, like, like even us as a, as a culture, like we don't check that. We don't put that in check. We don't like, we don't penalize society for, you know, in jumping in on oh a black person died how do i get to be a part of this you know what i mean so mm. i think that is a really powerful uh thing to expose mm-hmm. I, I thoroughly agree and as far as my feelings on social media i think that it obviously is powerful right it reaches more people than we've ever reached in the history of mankind that we know of mm. so that by nature means it's extremely powerful the dangerous part about it is it does curate for us what we are concerned about. Mm -hmm. So what I was sort of hinting on in this song is that we're deeply moved by a Breonna Taylor or George Floyd until we're now moved by the new meme of, you know, I'm just making this up as I go along, Michael Jordan crying, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like, then we're moved by that. And then we're moved by, you know, whatever, um, I don't know, Cardi B just said, or, you know, so Mm. the point is, is that we're able to be manipulated to some extent because whatever that hottest thing is in order for all of us. And I I really appreciate what Keenan said a second ago. It allows you entry into a collective thought here and a collective way of, of thinking in the nation at the time, in order to gain that entry, you have to know these, these particular issues that happen to make it or float to the top of the curation. And Mm -hmm. that's the only problem with it to me is that therefore, if we are relying on that to curate for us, our feelings and our emotions and what's going to become priorities for us, then that also allows them to change that whenever they want. I thought of that before. I thought of that before, but you don't honor it no more. Back down. Respect for the past is something you deeply lack now. I ain't been it either. I've had mad success since they lashing out. I'm giving wisdom because the system will stop giving rations out. But you will be poor like you were before, taking that faster route. Disaster route. Who's the masters now? We're the masters What would you want somebody to take away from this track the first time that they listen to it? For those that are Arrested Development fans, I would want them to say, damn, this dude is coming out, you know, he's coming off, you know, in the ring swinging. And for those that are not Arrested Development fans, um, you know, previous, I would love for them to hear the type of mood of track that generally is reserved for more street rhymes. You're hearing this consciousness coming through. And that to Mm -hmm. me would be uh, what I would want a newcomer to, to feel. Revolutionaries is a difference, they're not the same. Never. If you quote Malcolm X the king, but you're still not an excellent king. So you execute excellent things in your new life, your old life, back down. I'm problem solving, I'm evolving, that old self ain't coming around. But nowadays I'm coming around to spend time with my child. Uh, speech, let's, let's start with you, man. Legend, absolutely, in hip-hop, in music. What do you got going on musically? What uh, should our listeners be aware of uh, what you're up to uh, out in the world? Well, I got three things that I'm really proud of right now. One is the new album by my group, Arrested Development. It's called um, mm-hmm. Don't Fight Your Demons. So that's out now. I'm <laughs> really excited about it. And then 
The second thing is this documentary called 16 Bars, which I went into the jail in Richmond, Virginia uh, to work on music with inmates, which I call residents. And I documented the entire experience. And so it is one of the most moving and life changing things that I've ever put out. And I'm really, really proud of it. And it's on Amazon Prime. It's on YouTube and it's getting rave reviews. And we've won numerous awards at film festivals throughout the nation and in, and in a couple other countries. Yeah. So I'm really, really proud of it. That is a must watch. And I want to say the record too. Dude, the, rec- the record's incredible. I, I mean, everybody like Teddy Kane, uh, Devante, Garland, uh, other gentlemen, Anthony, 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 man. Like the... Here at Soundfly, we did do a, an online screening in, in our community and talk about everything. And it was, yeah, like I said earlier, before we rolled tape, it was really, really heavy mm-hmm. and and not a dry eye in the house. Yeah, you have to watch it and you have to check out the record. I thank you. And that movie and soundtrack has been so moving to so many people like I do screenings with this film especially before it came out on Amazon Prime and I would ask people to raise their hand if they knew anybody in their personal family who's incarcerated we have the largest Mm -hmm. incarceration rate on the planet earth here in the United States which we're a small percentage of the planet and we are trying to solve problems by incarcerating people instead of actually changing people and getting people um, uh, reformed. So 98% of the people that are incarcerated will be back in their community. If we as a, as a nation don't find ways to really solve the issue, we're just bringing the issue right back into our community or even making it worse by sending them to prison with um, many of which are in there for drug addiction issues, mental health issues, and not violence. And even those right. that are in for violence, many of them is because of their drug addiction, first and foremost, or their mental health issues. So we have some things that as a nation, we've got to really decide, okay, let's go ahead and change this system and stop trying to sweep everything under the rug. We got enough stuff under the rug as it is. I was telling you earlier that we did our first showing in San Rafael, California. And at the end of the film, there wasn't a dry eye in the building. Mm. And to top that off, one of the main people you're going to meet in this film is Teddy Kane. He was in the um, audience with us. We literally got him off the streets in Miami. He had no cell phone. We had to find him on the streets sleeping and get him a plane flight to San Rafael. And the impact of this movie is so powerful. It has affected all four of the men that I really showcase on this film. Um, Teddy Kane, for instance, went to San Rafael as I said, homeless, went to San Rafael. We brought him up on stage. The crowd went bananas to see him in Mm. in person. And from him being there, the crowd themselves collected $30,000 and gave that to, which we took it because he wasn't in the state of mind to be able to take Mm, it right right. off the bat. We took it and got him into one of the biggest and best rehabs, rehabilitation centers in San Rafael. So he ended up living in San Rafael for a year or more simply because of the showing. So, I mean, that's the kind of impact that the movie has on people that view it. Yeah. Mm. Kind of real change. Real change. That's absolutely incredible. The third thing sort of piggybacks out off of back down. Um, I did a documentary absolutely for free. It's on YouTube right now. It's totally free. It's gotten well over a million views in different uh, platforms and it's called the nigga factory. And I, I created this documentary because I saw this 400 year marketing campaign to portray black people as less than human hypersexual, overviolent, and lazy-minded, unintelligent. And so this documentary talks about that tradition, and it goes into hip-hop as well. And it's so important to me, this documentary, because many people often wonder, like, what makes a policeman 
who's a white man, let's say 45 years old, go to a pool party filled with mainly black boys and girls all under the age of 18 and grab a little black girl who's probably 13, 14 years old. I forget exactly her age. Who's in a Mm -hmm. basically a swimsuit. She definitely has no concealed weapons whatsoever. And he grabs her and pins her down on the ground as if she's a danger to someone, a little girl that Mm -hmm. there's something in his consciousness that makes him feel as if there is danger when there is no danger. And that carries over to many of these other killings that we see, whether it's a George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or you name it, countless others, that there is already a conditioned danger um, warning sign just by the skin color of black people to, to, mm-hmm. to far mm-hmm. too many Americans and especially those with power and in law enforcement. So that mm-hmm. this documentary handles that. K1, what are you up to, man? What uh, what kind of listeners expect from you in the future here? Uh, let me first say that I haven't actually seen 16 Bars or heard the soundtrack, and I definitely, um, you guys made me a believer. Like, that's best got, believe. Yeah, I'm, it's, I'm it's definitely going to go view this week. So um, Yeah, check it out. Thank uh, you. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, there's a lot that's new for me, and a lot of it is not music, which is kind of the first time since uh, football that that's been true. Mm-hmm. Um I got engaged in January. I moved to Chicago basically sure. to be with my future wife, uh, who is a doctor here in Chicago. And I've just been sort of hitting the reset button because I had all my all my resources and my uh, you know my network out in Los Angeles, and I was sort of banking on going back and forth. And then the pandemic hit, so it's been a great time to reassess and recreate my process. Um, and so. Through this time, I've been very inspired by space. And I think that that's just my escapist mentality. Um, and so uh, in 2021, you'll see a lot of, of Afrofuturist space-themed uh, music and videos for me. Um, Beautiful, man. This, Beautiful. this Friday, I have a single coming out with K.O. She uh, is a singer that I met in a residency at a company called Stereo. And we have a single called Count Me In. And then uh, during uh, Valentine's Day of next year, I'm going to drop a video called Dinner in a Movie. And it's a song that I wrote where basically all the lyrics are movie titles and food, <laughs> foods. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, you know, trying to switch it up and figure out new ways to challenge myself. So, But yeah, you will see a lot more of these like space sci-fi Afrofuturist things from me in 2021. And that's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. We want to know your favorite songs to inspire change. So as always, there's a link to a Spotify community playlist in our show notes. Feel free to add your selections there. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for themes for a future episode, be sure to drop us a line at podcast at soundfly.com. And remember to check out soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme.